What's the worst day you ever had in your business? I can name a few. I was a five-time award-winning entrepreneur who burned out because I couldn't give up control of anything in my business, whether it was because I thought I could do it faster or because I thought I couldn't afford it. I just refused to let anybody else in. Consequently, the business turned from a dream goal into a job I hated and I didn't know what to do anymore. In 2015, I closed my business, walked away, and started a whole new life. But I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up after that. And I realized that what I really love to do is marketing. I love to talk about marketing and create marketing and teach other people how to create value-based marketing initiatives that talk to their customers. I've done it for corporations, for entrepreneurs like you, bloggers, and everybody in between. I'm here to help you create your dream empire that gives you the freedom to create your life the way you want to do it. My name is Megan Brain. This is Stop Sucking Your Business. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a just incredibly motivating person who you're going to hear from today that makes me want to hang up and go do some work because he is doing so much more work than I am and he's so impressive. I am here with Mike Decker. Mike Decker is a principal-based marketer turned serial entrepreneur that has been featured on the Associated Press, Market Watch, MSNBC, CBS, and now Stop Sucking a Business. So Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Megan, for having me. I how do you get started in this crazy world? So your background is finance, and that is a terrifying world to me. So talk me through how did you get how did you get started in finance? So um, I I studied and I put quotations around studied sales and marketing in college, and I took a financial gig um, up in Washington that led to me creating a bunch of algorithms to fun, uh, fuel their, their financial planning software. But then they said, hey, can you just not go back to school? Can you stick around and, and help us grow the company? And I said, sure. And so I worked my way up, um, kind of the firm got a lot of great experience. Uh, and then one thing led to the other. I ended up staying in the industry for, and now it's been about a decade or so. Um, but before that, I took the hardest communication-based jobs I possibly could find, which I thought were phone sales and door-to-door sales. And most people say, oh, don't, don't say you were a door-to-door salesman. And I'm thinking, why not? When you're in college, you're going to take crappy jobs. You might as well get the hardest ones to learn your craft. And I learned how to effectively communicate with clarity. And clarity is the best form of communication, not benefits or ambiguity or manipulation. This is what I'm offering. Is that something you want? It's okay if you don't want it. And I've had tremendous success because I learned how to speak clearly. Can we talk about what your door-to-door job was? Because mine in college, I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners door-to-door. And I sold one because they were like multiple hundred dollar things. But I mostly just ended up cleaning people's houses all day for free. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to California and sold pest control. Uh, wow. So it's kind of a utility, but it was really simple. I mean, I was, hey, I'm the, I'm the local guy. I've got my people here in the area. If, if you're going to be around, I can do it dirt cheap. And it was always a price point because they're all kind of the same thing. They use the same, you know, the pyrethroids and pyrethrins. You throw all that jargon in there to make yourself sound fancy. It's all the same stuff. Um, but, you know, if you could save 20 bucks a month 
why not, right? right. And uh, it's the same service, and I can take, and then you point out the, like, oh, there's this issue, there's that issue. And, um, but there was, can I share a brief, interesting experience I had with this? That Please, really yeah. My understanding on, so there's a principle of, of, um, of change as humans, and, and it suggests that unless the pain of change becomes less than the pain of continuing on, people don't change. I'll never forget, I walked, there's two examples, I walked into someone's house and they had an ant infestation in their kitchen, like ants everywhere. I said, yeah, you know, we can be here later today, take care of this, it's going to cost you 100 bucks, how do you want to proceed? And they said, oh no, we'll just go to Home Depot and get home, uh, home defense for 30 bucks. And I said, well, here's the issues for that, do you still want to do that? I said, yeah, we're just going to do that. And then I thought, why did you invite me into your home if you're just going to do this anyway? And then another home where I'm sitting there, I see three black widows on her porch while she's sitting there. I say, hey, I can take care of this for you. And she says, no, I'm good. <laughs> either, it's, either it's money or it's not really a pain point to them, but we think, oh, I'm going to solve this issue based on my eyes. Right. You don't sell based on your experiences. You don't market based on your experiences. It's all about them and their experiences and how they measure pain. And we, we buy things based off pain mitigation for the most part, not benefits are making your life better. Why do so many people not do what they want? Because it's more painful to do that path than it is just to enjoy the status quo. I learned that from Tony Robbins, actually. Is that where you learned it too? Yeah. No, just mm -hmm. kind of self-experience and, and trying to put words to what I'm noticing. But it's so, it's so true that, you know, you can, and it's for anything, for weight loss, for business, for learning a skill, just, it doesn't, start working until you're willing to say like the status quo is not working for me anymore and if i don't change then nothing will yeah twitter is all, all over inspiring words on how to start your business <laughs> and yet no one does anything because it's still more painful it's too risky mm -hmm. and so what if everyone became their own serial entrepreneur it'll never happen because it's too painful and through the mind's eye for a lot of people well, let's talk about how you overcame that fear. So you have successfully launched three companies to date. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that process. Like, what does that, how does that start from like the shiny object that's kind of noodling around in your brain to manifesting? How does that work for you? Oh gosh, there's probably 10 business ideas I get a day and I write them down so they don't clog my, my mindset. But it's, it's about creating a structure first. So if your business can't scale, then it's a job. And you don't want to create a job because over and over I see entrepreneurs becoming slaves to their own businesses. And it's just dreadful. I think you you can relate to that a little bit through your experience. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the so the first thing is to build a process. And the second you can make a decision about your process, then you can make the adjustments as things go on. No business is going to come out of the gate perfected. It just doesn't happen. Businesses that have been in business for hundreds of years are still adjusting how they do things with the times. So it's better to create a structure because that structure is repeatable and then you can make the adjustments. Kind of like having a constant in any sort of math equation. You have to have a constant to be able to figure out what's working, what's not working. If you have too many variables, then you're winging it. And winging it is a system that is of chaos. And so what I see a lot of people is they the fear of, well, let's do this, let's do that. They keep throwing out all these ideas, but nothing ever solidifies as a baseline. And so nothing can ever really happen. And if you do start, then it's a free-for-all 
and you're was, uh, wasting a ton of time based on just um, aimless activities, busyness and not productivity. So, I mean, the first thing is if you have a concept, how do you get that concept, like whether it's a service or a product, in a systematized and scalable way to people? If you don't have that, then it's going to be really rough at the beginning. Um, and then the second part, too, is, is seeing if your idea is even valuable. Mm -hmm. So it's, I love two things. One is if you pitch it to 10 people and five say, yeah, I, I like this, and five say, no, you're going to waste a lot of time and money, that's usually a good thing. Polarizing responses is a good indicator. Um, some people say, oh, if everyone says it's a bad idea, that, that means you're onto something. That is not true. I've heard some terrible business ideas. <laughs> uh, and if everyone says it's great, I would be weary of that. Because if you don't have any resistance, then you may be trying to appeal towards everyone, which means you're going to market to no one. Let's talk more about the, the idea of scaling or building something to scale. Because I think that yeah. some people will take that and go way too far with it, where they'll start with like enterprise solutions and they don't have the infrastructure to build that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so let's let's talk about um, a system is not every single detail, every single workflow done. So I, I coach a lot of financial advisors, and I say, what's your sales process? Oh, it's three meetings. Okay, what happens in those meetings? Well, I get to know them, and uh, then I decide I'll, I'll pitch them a product or something like that, and we just kind of see where it goes. Okay, so you have three meetings of whatever happens. Did I get that right? Yes. When would you not take a client? Oh, I take on pretty much any client. I mean, I, it's hard to get clients. Okay, so you have no boundary. I mean, can you see how this starts to fall apart to where it's not really a repeatable process? It's them trying to figure it out as they go along. And so what I teach them is who's your client, who's not, and how do you determine that right up front? The top salespeople and the top marketers are the ones that express their boundaries. Who's a fit, who's not a fit right up front? I like that, and I like the idea of saying no and learning how to say no early, I think it becomes one of the hardest parts of getting started because you want everybody's money, right? You want to make sure that you can pay your bills and you can do all those things, but to have the ability to say no ends up being so much more fiscally responsible. You know what I mean? Essentially, um, there is power and control between any relationship and if you try to assume power and control you're perceived as a dictator and the people you're trying to sell to are going to resist that whether they realize it or not it will be subcortical they're going to resist you and they're going to leave if you give them power and control then you have no boundaries and people don't respect people that have no boundaries and the questions won't be i mean can you imagine a doctor where you're in charge of the conversation and they never get what they need to out out like it's just not going to happen you know, they say, now we're going to take your, your blood work. Now we're going to do this test. Now we're going to go here. You've got a question. Hold on one second. We need to take care of this. Then I'll answer your question, right? They're, they're holding up those boundaries because they know what needs to get done. Any good sales process, if there's a question, they're going to say, uh, they're going to say, thank you for that. We can address that in about five minutes. We just first need to get through this first before we can address that. Are you okay with that? Only when you have the client or the prospect having the power and you maintain the control through questions can you have an effective sales process. And then you're holding those boundaries of saying, not yet, we have to cover these things first.
I like that, and I like that it can be spread out not just to um, finances, but also to, like, any part of your business where you're just saying, like, as an entrepreneur, you have 57,000 priorities, but you cannot get to 57,000 priorities successfully. So you have to say, like, okay, I, I understand that I need marketing and I need advertising and I need blah, 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 and I need blah, 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 but right now I need a customer. And let me figure out the customer first before I start working on all these other priorities. Is that how you see people developing systems, or do you recommend that people do it another way? So I... I like the mentality, and this is really successful for people who do things like teachable courses, is do a pre-sale discount rate to see if there's some value. If there is, you get that money and you reinvest it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen on teachable um, chat boards to where they say they, they put together just the first segment. It's like a four-week course, and they put together just the first couple of videos. They do a pre-sale half off, and if they get 10 people to buy it, then every week they're building the next week. They're just one week ahead of them, and that's it. So, like, when I launched my coaching um, business um, uh, about a year ago, actually, um, and I just I wanted to do coaching. I, I just something I want to do is kind of more of a hobby than anything, but I'm not going to do it for free. So I created an outline. Um, I I had, and I, it's just marketable something, some sort of structure. And I said, look, if you want me to coach you, here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, authenticity, awareness, and advocacy within your business. And then I broke those down and what those mean. I defined them. And I said, is that something you want or not? Here's what the results look like. And I'll never forget it. Um, my, my big pitch was, if you go through my coaching, you can run your practice in two and a half hours a week or less. And one of my favorite uh, clients, I mean, he, he, uh, he goes, you're, you're joking. I mean, he was willing to pay the money. I was recommended, so he did it. And I said, now, most people go through my program and don't get those results because they don't do what I say. Why are you going to do what I say? He says, well, got nothing to lose. I mean, I'm cash flowing, like I'm, I'm fine, but I'd like to get to that point because everyone's dependent on me. I said, okay. We, I set the boundaries and we went through the process. Usually it takes about a year to go through. He did it in six months and he calls me on the golf course now every now and then just says, yeah, have it worked in three days. And I'm still making great money. The business is thriving because he learned how to be, how to set those boundaries, how to delegate, how to build structures and systems, how to put the accountability on someone and not have to follow up with them over and over again. And it even goes uh, in this section, it went to like the neuroscience behind communication. But I just created a, a general structure. And then every time one, the first client got to the next section, I made all of those materials for that section. Mm. So I just was building it as people progressed. I didn't build the whole thing out right up front. That would be a waste of time because what if it wasn't viable? I now wasted a ton of time trying to do it. Well, let, let's talk about how you envisioned the results before you had the product built. So you're, you're making a statement that you will only work two and a half hours a week. What was in your head that said, this is what I can teach, and I know that even though I don't have the, the structure set up, I know that this is the result that I want to work towards with my clients? Yeah, the, I mean, the, so when I had done it previously at my own firm, mm -hmm. or a former co-founded, I should say, mm -hmm. but on top of that, it was, how, what does that result be defined as? And I defined it as you have... Um, a half an hour segment 
for your marketing department for them to report back to you what's going on and you can make decisions. A half an hour for your, your operations department for them to report back to decisions. And I just segmented what that two and a half hours would have been like. Mm. And I said, now we're going to train your staff how to do what they need to do and give them the accountability and report back to you so you're not doing their job for them. So I, I defined what the result was. And then I, I put my billable hours of what it would cost. Um, and I said, okay, so if, I, if I'm going to do this, I need to have X amount of clients just to pay my bills. Um, and then anything on top of that is just fun work at that point. Mm-hmm. And so you, there has to be a monetary viability to what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a business that's you're going to work long hours and not make much money is really, really tough unless you use overseas help or scalable manufacturing, which has more upfront costs than uh, first-time entrepreneurs may want to endure. So let's talk about people who are the first-time entrepreneurs that are, they didn't fall into a business, but they started something, it ended up being successful. Now they're thinking about going full-time and they have to figure out the way to systematize this into a scalable business. Um, do you have any tips for those people? Yeah, think with the end in mind. So if you're going to be the CEO, what does that mean? What's the responsibility of the CEO? And then list everything else that has to be done after that. Um, are you still there? Okay, sorry. Um, just good timing on the internet there. But the um, start with the end in mind of what you want the results to be and then create benchmarks moving backwards from that standpoint. If you think with the end in mind, then you can benchmark how you're going to get there. And so it's things like, okay, for the business to run, the biggest burden I have is marketing, usually is marketing. How can I systematize and outsource my marketing so someone else is doing it? Um, and the best measurement is what is your billable hour to yourself? So for like for new entrepreneurs, you could start with $100 an hour. If it costs more than $100 an hour to fulfill that job, outsource it. Uh, or if it costs less than $100 an hour, outsource it. If it costs more than $100 an hour, maybe keep it a little bit longer until your billable hour becomes $200 an hour to yourself. Then you outsource. So you're just comparing time and price value at that point. And so, and you can, you can get people, freelancers working five hours a week for you that take care of all that for a fraction of the cost. And now you freed up five hours that are not to be wasted with busy work. You're going to deliberately fill those with other parts of, of your day or, or the next, next benchmark. So like for my advisory, uh, my uh, marketing agency that I run, the first thing I did was I found a digital marketer who can do Facebook ads um, and, and secondary some Google ads. That was the most tedious part. It was extremely technical. And so I found someone, hired him full time, and he just took care of that. And then I used white labeled services like Kimp, K-I-M-P, to do my graphic design work um, for like 800 bucks a month. Um, now I they do graphics and videos. So now I've just outsourced the most tedious parts of my job and I'm paying maybe 3,000 a month Keep in mind, I already have three to five clients at this point. So the cash flow is just fine. I've just delegated it to other people to make things scalable. Kind of building as you go and outsourcing as you go. How did you find um, freelancers? Do you go on Upwork 
have other recommendations on where people should go? Upwork is good um, if you want like the critical thinking side. If you're looking for operational fulfillment, I would recommend, um, I use extendyourteam.com. Um, Matt and his team over there, they've got a good system for finding people in the Philippines that will work your hours. Um, they call it the third shift. Mm -hmm. And um, and they'll work full-time with great, great um, skills for like 12 to 18 bucks an hour. Hey guys, Megan here. How are your conversions doing? Are they maybe a little womp womp? I am here to help you with this exclusive free training about two phrases you can use that just boost your conversions like kapow. But there's a catch. It's totally free, but you have to get it in my Facebook group. That's the only place it's available. So to join, join my Facebook group. No, <laughs> joining my Facebook group is totally free. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash Megan Once you join, you'll be able to get access to the training that shows you two stupidly simple phrases you can use to add oomph to your conversions in your marketing, it's going to blow your mind. And I am so excited for you to check it out. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash Megan Brame. I'll see you in there. So once we started outsourcing and building system, when do you recommend people start revisiting, I guess, doing an audit on their systems? When do you, do you see that a benchmark should be set for like, okay, this has been running this long, or you're having this success or not this success. Like, what, what are some triggers that you think people should start paying attention to to say, like, okay, I need to start looking back at my systems and see if things need to change? You know, there, there are two metrics. One is if you're working more than 40 hours a week, outsource something or you'll burn out. I know it's fun that you can have short seasons to where you're working long hours, that that exists. But if you're four to five months in and you're working six, seven days a week for over 10 hours a day, there's an issue. Um, and also if you find that your day is more reactive than proactive, there's something wrong with your system. Those are the two indicators that something's wrong with your business and needs to be adjusted. Even in the client services bit, if you're re more reactive than proactive, then there's something wrong with your systems. Now there's exceptions to that, like if you're doing a call center where you're only taking reactive calls, right? So use that with a grain of salt, but if you have a business that goes out and gets leads, gets clients, and you're being reactive, there's something wrong with the system. I like that, I like that idea that it's not really tied down the timeline as much as a burnout timeline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, want to talk, I want to talk about business three that you're currently running. So how did this get started? What, what excites you about it? And what, what should my people know about it? So business three is the advisor suite. Um, and it's a, um, the advisor suite essentially is a marketing agency for financial advisors. And it came about because as I was coaching the, my clients, I kept hearing over and over again that they're using three to five different vendors and none of them talk to each other and it's really difficult to coordinate their efforts. And when I was working in the financial services, um, you know, a company I co-founded previously, 
I did everything in-house. And so I had already created a system that was scalable. And so what I did is I thought, I, just, I pitched it to a couple of my clients. I said, hey, if, if you were able to bring it under one vendor who just handled it all, what would you do? And they'd say, honestly, we, we'd switch yesterday if we, could, if we had something like that, but just no one does that. Um, and there's one other company that, that does it, but they just didn't want to pay the price point because it was, just, it was a very much a, a premium opportunity. And so I priced it out. I created the scalability. I figured out, okay, if I took two clients on, I could do it all myself. If I took five clients on, I would require this. I just, I just, I mean, Excel sheet, real brief, rough numbers there. Um, and I thought, okay, I can make money off this. I can scale it, and I can slowly outsource or hire people on to where within four or five months, I wouldn't be doing anything other than just joining in calls every now and then. And so the fact that I just was working and asking questions. I was able to notice an issue with the industry, and whenever there's an issue with the industry that's a problem, that's pain, people will, make, will change what they're doing based on pain, then I, um, yeah, then I launched it. And I have spent zero dollars on marketing as a marketing agency because it's been fueled just by referrals, which has been a lot of fun. But there's a bit of irony behind that. That's amazing. And this, I think that that's my perfect segue into something that you are very, um, that you emphasize a lot is marketing with principles. And so I want to talk about how you figured out that was going to be your line in the sand to have principles as like a key selling point and what you think that means for entrepreneurs. Like what, what, what does marketing with principles mean to you and to your clients? Yeah, so first things first, marketers, I feel, are at an inherent disadvantage because they have to be creative and figure out the solutions. And then you pitch it, and then they say no. And then you compromise and do something else, and you pitch it, and they say no. And then after a couple of months of this merry-go-round, then they say, we're going to fire you guys because you haven't given us any results. And you're going, I've been trying, but you're saying no to everything that we're saying. Like, that, that is a very common situation for a lot of advisors or not advisors for, for a lot of marketers and so right off the bat i'm saying okay not only is this how we're going to function but here's how we market we are not short term like if a client and this is a very clear indicator i need leads yesterday what can you do for me i say i'm not a fit Here's how I market. Here are the three principles. It's principle of change, the principle of permission, and the principle of, uh, of direction. And I can define those in a second. But I say, look, this is a flywheel effect marketing campaign. We're not going to buy lists and spend them, send them a bunch of spammy emails. We are only going to market to people who have given you permission to speak to them. We're going to get their permission by offering them free value. And we're going to collect data based on their interactions on the emails and on your website. All very ethical and the right way to do it. And then from there, when we've indicated that they might be interested in the services or buying a product, then we clearly, as principal, principal direction, define what's being offered, what's expected, and what the next steps are. It's a very principle-based approach that takes a lot of time and effort to get it up and running. And if the client has shiny object syndrome or the client needs leads yesterday, then it shuts it down immediately because I don't, your reputation's at stake. And if you take on clients, they're going to complain about you 
doesn't it doesn't just hurt your online reputation, but it hurts your confidence. You're starting to fail over and over again because you're not setting boundaries. You're essentially setting your up, yourself up for failure there. So can we talk about um, defining those principles? Yeah, the principle of change, I've said it earlier, but it's essentially, uh, it suggests that unless the pain of change becomes less than the pain of continuing on, people won't change. So stop marketing based on benefits. Stop marketing based on this perfectionism idea. No one believes it. I love how like more models are showing their, their stretch marks and, and things like that because that's real and we want real. Um, and then when you understand why people are going to change, it's not fear manipulation, it's not perfectionism benefits, it's uh, if you have this issue, here's some value we can add to your life. If you want it, great. If not, no problem. Very neutral, value-based marketing. Um, and then the principal permission suggests that unless someone gives you permission to speak to them, it doesn't matter how loud you are, they're not listening. I mean, think of how many times you've given someone unsolicited advice and it did nothing. You're just wasting time, energy, and probably annoying them a little bit, but they're just too nice to say anything. The same with marketing. The first step is to get someone's permission. And the way you do that is by offering a value. And then the second step is exchange that value for an email or a name or a number or something. Don't give things away for free. There's always a cost and it's at least an email. And then the third step is respectfully follow up them and collect data based on what they want. Remember the principle of change. They're going to buy on what they want, not on the benefits you think they want. And then the principle of direction suggests that um, unless you clearly define what you're offering, what's expected, and what the next steps are, there's a high probability you're going to lose them. A anxiety and ambiguity instill fear or um, heightened levels of testosterone, cortisol, and norepinephrine. Those are chemicals of distrust. So if they're going to sign up for a service but they don't know what happens once they sign up, that will probably keep them from signing up. But if you say, and when you sign up for this, what's going to happen is that within 24 hours, one of our people are going to contact you and find the good time to schedule. Or you can use Calendly and schedule right away. And then we're, we're going to send you a little questionnaire. It's one page long. Uh, nothing's intrusive, just some basic information we need to collect before our, our appointment. Um, and then we, um, the appointment will go this long. It will, we'll talk about these topics. Um, you know, you, you're clearly saying everything that's going to happen. So when they click that button, there's no anxiety. Anxiety loses so many leads because the principal direction is not being effectively implemented. That's so true. By the way, those are the go ahead. Those are the marketing principles. I mean, I've got a, a, a small ebook that I hand out through my Twitter of thirty principles for life, but those are the marketing ones. It's funny you had said um, you like the models that show their stretch marks, and I was thinking abstractly, and then I realized like, oh wait, I think he might be talking literally, actually. <laughs> like I think even the business models that show like, <laughs> I guess it works both ways, right? So, oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's, so can we talk more about yeah, that? There's no perfected business. <laughs> there's no perfected model. There's no yeah, perfected um, business. Yeah, so 30 Principles for Everyday Life, it's deep and critical thinking. This is not a light read at all. It's literally a principle and then 
what it suggests. It's a universal truth that can be applied for your, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with friends or family, your relationship professionally, but they're all universally applicable and they guide you to uh, live your most authentic life, like who you really are. Too often we're in a fear-based position living a life that someone else wants us to live. And it just doesn't have to be that way. I mean, one of the examples is the principle of authenticity, which suggests that you only live your authentic self when you first live by principle. So not manipulation, not fear-based, not addictions. Like You live by principle. And second, you live by your preferences. We all have different preferences, yet we, yet we compromise what those preferences are to appease people who probably don't even care. But it's, it's a very thought-provoking 30-page principle book, uh, ebook of things that you could spend a year on each principle and still probably not have it be enough. So, and you said that's on your Twitter. How can people get it? Yeah, uh, my handle's Mike Kederick, K-E-D-R-E-C. And if you ask for it, I was going to wait and release the, the ebook once I hit um, a certain amount of followers, but I think I might just release it now and just let people enjoy it. Boom. So if you if you don't, you can, I mean, you can see it on there, but if you don't, just DM me and I can send you a, a PDF of it. It's free. I'm excited for that, and I know that sounds cheesy, but it's actually really interesting. I want, please send me the book. Can I have it? Yeah, yeah I'll send it to you after this. <laughs> so, Mike, when do you recommend people start coming to you for help, and what kind of work do you want them to do before they come to you? Uh, in, I guess, in the agency business or in entrepreneurship or in, in what instance? As, as a client, like, what kind of work do you want your clients to do before they come to you, and when are they ready to come to you? I mean, for... For financial advisements, they, they need to have at least two advisors there. Like they have to be a big enough practice that they can afford my fee. Uh, and so, and I have to have someone internally that's completely dedicated to marketing operations and just the internal side and not seeing clients because if you're seeing clients, then you never get back to us. So like one, one person shops just aren't a fit. Um, you've got to get to a certain threshold because we're essentially your virtual CMO and marketing staff that you're paying for to integrate with your company. Um, and so it's, you've already got the ball rolling and just want to perfect it, or I say that jokingly, but improve it on a continuing basis. Well, and we talked about Twitter, but um, if people have questions about the book or scaling or things like that, um, how do you recommend they get in touch with you? Well, I mean, the, Twitter's most powerful section is in the DMs. So just DM me. I mean, I really don't mind responding. Um, uh, if, if you want to follow me, I'm always tweeting about different observations that I have uh, that you can you can hit that little notification if you want to get them live. I, um, Twitter's more of a creative outlet of sharing what I'm learning. I really don't care about how many followers I have or you know what's what's going on. I just it's a great resource for me to learn, but also I share what I'm learning with anyone that wants to follow me. It most certainly is not a business ploy at all. It's a it's a personal fun outlet, I should say. <laughs> personal project, yeah. 
But also, can we talk about your podcast too? Because someone has been on it, and I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, marketing with principles. Um, you've been on it. That was a lot of fun, and uh, it's another just fun project trying to to really antagonize an industry of manipulation with principles. And only guests that are principle-based, that understand you don't manipulate things, you don't try and force things, are on it. They share their stories. It's a lot of fun. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't know, Megan, was, was it fun for you to be on it? <laughs> it was a lot of fun, yeah, absolutely. You, you can say no. You can say it was dreadful. <laughs> it was not dreadful whatsoever. It is a very good podcast, and Mike is a really good interviewer, so I recommend picking it up or picking it up and subscribing to it. The, the yeah, coffee's worn off. Like, I can't. I can't be articulate anymore. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, Mike, no before problem. we go, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you feel like people should know? Um, I. I have this opinion that uh, I want to share in kind of conclusion in, in lieu of our, our entrepreneurial theme. And that is, it's my opinion that everyone should be a solopreneur at some point in their life. Doesn't have to be your full-time job, even if it's just moonlighting something or a little side gig. When you run your own business, you'll either understand that the uh, first day you make $1,000, you'll never work for someone else again, or you'll appreciate the risk your employer takes and you'll be less uh, entitled to benefits and things like that because they're basically taking the, taking the risk and employing you and trying to still make it work. You will never fully understand how a business runs unless you've been in charge of something like being a solopreneur. Um, and even if it's like you decide that you're going to write a, a little ebook on something and then try and, and peddle it on Twitter, for example, whatever it is. Like, just see if you can make money off of it and what it looks like to do that. It is one of the most eye-opening experiences that you could have as a professional in any capacity that you work in. And it will either make you more grateful for your current employer or um, you'll be your own boss for the rest of your life. And that's also can be cool. Not for everyone, but for some people it can be cool. That's perfect. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me, Megan. Hey guys, one more thing before you go. Could you do me a favor and leave a review of this episode? It would help me out so much and get the word out to other people. If you could just drop a review, I would really appreciate it.